Hi folks, before we start the podcast, you know what I'm about to do. I'm asking you to help us keep the Tortoise Shack going. Uh, we do that on the Patreon model. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. And for the price of a cheap point nowadays, you get access to over a thousand now podcasts. I think it's now a thousand and eight uh, podcasts all in one place without these, please, without having to listen to this. And they come out as quickly as we can turn them around. That's access to all podcasts in our network be it glow west be it the brand new shrapnel podcast uh, which went out this week and indeed the sunday show that we do live with our members uh, so you would have access to that you probably get to see our smiling faces and uh, and and join in the conversation as we like to do on a sunday afternoon all of those are available now for as i said 550 a month it's it's really simple click on patreon.com forward slash tortoise in this and join us. We would love to have you on board. It's the only way we keep this show on the road. Uh, just on the podcast coming up, it is an important one. Uh, it's on it's on monkeypox and why it has not been treated in the same way as our reaction to the COVID pandemic, despite the World Health Organization calling it a global health emergency. Um, if you want more information on that, the link is also in the bio to access to medicinesireland.ie. You can click the link in the bio now and see how you can help. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for sharing. And please do consider joining us. It's the only way we can keep this show on the road. Talk to you soon. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and everybody's looking at me now going, look, he's gone full radio voice. Uh, Martin, it's nice to see you in present. Hey, look, what's, what's this? It's been about 12 weeks since you were able to even sit in that chair. Never, let alone. I haven't been in this chair in over two years, Tony. <sighs> We did. Oh, I did in person once, but you didn't make it. You weren't yeah, well. I yes, have been in, in the correct. rocking chair and over now. And I have to say, being here, your manky finger just matches your manky toe. <laughs> and it's just, it's incredibly awful to be so up close to this. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this is why we don't, uh, we don't like one another. You know? <laughs> no, we're business associates. This is why it's taken two years for this to happen. <laughs> um, no, look, no, it is nice to see you back. And I'm hoping, hoping you have a bit of a run of good health. Yeah, yeah, me uh, too. Yeah, no, and it's it's not often I give you a little bit of credit, but it's not. Anyway, there you go. That's as, that's as much as you're getting from me anytime. Look, we have a really important topic to talk about, uh, and we have two brilliant guests to talk about it. Uh, Dr. Kira Conlon is joining us. She works in virology and is, uh, look, listeners from about 600 episodes ago remember her. 600 speaking. episodes. Oh, it's about that. Yeah. Access to medicine. But uh, and also Robbie Lawler, who's a HIV... HIV activist and co-founder of Access to Medicine and a PhD candidate. Martin, yet again, we are the worst of the worst when it comes to achieving you, anything. You, Tony, you, you, I'm fine. I'm grand. I'm really happy with the way I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robbie, Kira, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks for having us. Now, um, look, I suppose the issue around monkeypox is yet again one another situation in Ireland where um, we see... We have the facilities, we have the resources, we have the means, and yet we don't seem to, it all seems to lack the impetus. Why is this going, seemingly going wrong already at such a, when we can avoid this? We, we have, we know what we should be doing and we're not doing it. I could answer that both on the national level and the international level, but you're right. Unlike COVID or HIV, we started off in a very strong situation when it came to monkeypox because mm. we have the diagnostics, we have the vaccines, and actually we have an off-label uh, treatment that we know actually works quite well from anecdotal evidence, but we need more studies. So we have all of these already in our toolkit. However, they're not being distributed around the world. In Ireland currently, 
there isn't one vaccine in the arm used as pre-exposure prophylaxis. So it used um, before getting monkeypox. Mm. Um, it's a real issue um, when there's millions of vaccines stockpiled around the world, but yet we do not have the access. The question is why? One, there's not one in an arm in Ireland, Kira, no. So it's been recommended now for um, the community of gay and bisexual men who have sex with men um, that they should, um, it's recommended that they should have access to this vaccine. And currently it's not the case. We are not able to get the supplies um, because of really poor global management of this outbreak. Mm-hmm. Is this outbreak, does it have the potential? to be as bad as the COVID outbreak. I mean, I know for in particular that the quarantine time is longer. It's three weeks. Um, it's very hard for people to be out of three weeks with no sick pay. I mean, that's really difficult. Does it have the pet potential to do more damage than COVID? In some ways, this is this can be really bad. It's a very different virus from COVID in the way it spreads. It's not going through the air. It doesn't have the capacity to infect the same number of people at the same level. Um, but for people who get monkeypox, they are suffering a lot. Um, so just back to basics, I suppose monkeypox is a virus and the most common symptom is a rash, which is um, blistering. It can be intensely painful and intensely itch- itchy. So for people who get it, it's it's really not a nice thing to have. Um different to COVID. We're, we're way further ahead. As Robbie said, we already have the tools to contain and prevent this from spreading and causing suffering. Um, so I think there's no excuse for the fact that we're just allowing this to happen. Mm-hmm. Martin, I like that point you brought up though. Um, different to COVID, which is around five days now of isolation or seven days are recommended. Uh, three weeks minimum until the rash is completely gone um, is what's expected of you. However, there's two, um, uh, the World Health Organization recently has issued two public health emergency of international concern, COVID and monkeypox. With COVID, you get around 350 a week, depending on how much money you had before and um, if, if, if you've been paying enough tax to, to get that much money, okay? Um, you only get general illness benefit now with monkeypox, mm. even though it's the exact same declaration by the World Health Organization. And you have to isolate for three weeks minimum the issue here is it's just bad public health. Mm. We all know how hard it is to live in Ireland, mm. <laughs> the cost of living crisis. You can't expect someone to live off 203 euro a week maximum. Mm. Um, and, and in general, no I think... Sta- what, no statutory sick pay from, from many employers. Like, thank you. Yeah. Exactly. So like, but then, so people are just going to hide it if they're not, you know, uh, if it's not completely self-limiting, if they're not in complete agony and maybe they can go out. So it's just bad public health and it's not bad on the person. It's just they have to live. They have to be either feed the family or feed themselves or mm. pay their, uh, not be kicked out of their house to pay their rent. Um, so this was only released a few days ago by Minister Heather, Humf- uh, Heather Humphreys that they're not going to give the same amount of pay. And I can't help from a community standpoint think of any other reason other than institutional homophobia. I, I just can't understand it from a public health standpoint and from a cost-benefit analysis. Now, I'm not an economist. I'm not in public health. However, if we're not paying people enough to isolate, well, then we're not going to get a handle on this outbreak. And that costs a lot more than it is to give just a few hundred people Decent pay, to, uh, uh, sick pay. Absolutely, and 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 I don't mean to be so macabre about this, but we can look at 
if you recall, Kira, you remember when, when COVID, this is what are we going to do? We're going to have lockdowns. We're going to have other places that will say Sweden famously said kind of we'll have this, you know, um, less social gathering, but we'll kind of let it rip in a way and everybody's going to get this. And what we discovered in Sweden and Philip O'Connor, um, the Irish journalist who's spoken about this at length, has shown the studies now that he's he's spoken to the people who've done the studies and talked about it is that people in in uh, low paid communities, they all died. They brought they brought it home to grandparents who died because they were forced to live in these conditions. Mm-hmm. And similar to this now, we're looking at a situation whereby a community that is effectively a minority community is is, is saying, well, that's it's it's. it's you call it institutional homophobia. I, I liked, I liked the idea of though, um, a cost benefit analysis. And that's the kind of the other end in this period. But we've seen this with COVID. It, yeah. it killed those communities, those minority that's communities. The thing about virus, this virus, monkeypox like COVID, anyone can catch this virus, yeah. but it's ripping through marginalized communities for a reason. It's not just men who have sex with men, um, who've been historically marginalized. It's also black people mm-hmm. in Africa. So this virus was discovered in the 1970s and it's for years now it's been increasing in the um in central and western africa in 2020 there was at least 5000 cases in the drc and it's estimated 170 people or more died so we shouldn't be as taken by surprise by this and if we'd done more um to protect marginalized people and for true global public health um we would be in a much better position now if we had taken this seriously um, in Africa much earlier. There is, I, I would think, Robbie, and, and Tony and I kind of discussed this, if you're, if, if you're told, no, you can't uh, have three w- weeks off to do your isolation, there is certainly an element of discrimination in that because it is affecting one group at the moment. And it's only at the moment. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you let it get out of control with that one group, it's everybody. And it's, and as you've said, it is everybody in Africa. It is everybody in poorer countries. But do you feel there's an element of discrimination there? Yes. Like, sorry, that's just all, yeah. all I can say. Absolutely. Does it only become something of a concern when more heterosexual people get it? Is that when we'll start taking it more seriously? Because that's all I'm seeing and all I am hearing now. To be honest, there's been so much government in action. Some health services from the beginning have really worked well with uh, community groups, such mm-hmm. as the Empower Program, Gay Health Network, for example, and the Positive Vibe podcast that um, I do with Veda. Um, but it's us pushing this. We're doing the outreach to the communities. We're saying, you know, if, if you notice the rash or a lesion, go get tested, start isolating and then take on medical advice. Um, but know that there's a support group here for you because the huge thing is, I don't know if you have to do a week of isolation with COVID. Mm. I went mental. <laughs> I went absolutely insane. I couldn't imagine being in pain for three weeks. We need to have supports out there. But is that the government doing that? Is people on the streets doing that? And, and so what I'm saying is because of the government in action in terms of doing a national um, uh, kind of program or outreach um, or the their kind of or let's campaigning start, or let's start, let's, start, let's, let's sort of campaign and, and, the, and the, pre, the preemptive or prevention uh, ideas like, come on. Um, and but, but, but Kira, like we, we looked at, came out of COVID and I know we said we're going to fix public health now. We're going to actually have, we're going to put a new model in place. This is failing at the first hurdle in, in this case. And this is not to pick on people in public health, you know, but like, I mean, we need to put this right, surely, to God. Like, because we're talking about monkeypox now. We also know 
what what else could be around the corner like I completely agree so like I'm back here what is it three years later yeah. and we're talking about the same mm-hmm. structural issues that existed then and for a long time previously um in terms of covid vaccines huge global inequity now it's monkeypox mm. what's going to be next we need to fix the system there is an element yeah. of urgency about this we're looking at a perfect storm winter we're looking at covid we're looking at cost of living Mm -hmm. we are looking at war so we have this perfect storm we don't need any bad weather to have a perfect storm this winter and climate change too which is partly responsible for the monkeypox Mm -hmm. um, outbreak in terms of deforestation animals living and humans living closer and closer together it's all interconnected Mm -hmm. But you would think, you know, if you were in government and you're like, oh, God, this is going to be a disastrous government or this is going to be a disastrous winter. What easy things can we knock off the list? Well, monkeypox is an easy one. You actually have what you need. All you need to do is access it. You would think it's easy. And I'm so happy you brought this up because this is me and Kira's like bread and butter. Okay, Because <laughs> you would think it's easy on a national level, but this is an international issue and it's been an international issue for HIV mm. it's been an international issue for COVID and an international issue for monkeypox so let's kind of break it down why it's an issue so we know around the world there's around 16 million of the smallpox vaccine stockpiled around the world mm. okay and the World Health Organization came out I think last week Kara, that we need 10 million of the smallpox vaccine to vaccinate the most at-risk communities around the world so our listeners will probably think, well, that's great. Mm. We have enough there. But what's the problem? The problem is around 15 plus million of what we have in stockpile is in bulk form. Mm. That means is there's still one more manufacturing stage and it's called a fill and finish. Basically putting the bulk form of the small back, smallpox vaccine into a vial mm. so we can ship it off. And it's a very important part of the manufacturing process. However, the issue here is... Uh. There's only one pharma company, and it's a very small pharma company, um, called Bavarian Nordic. And that owns the intellectual property for the smallpox vaccine. And here we go again. So, just like COVID, and we can go into the parallels here, that means this one company has the complete say over what happens to the smallpox vaccine for the world. And I should caveat this by saying $2 billion from the US Defense Authority went into the research and development of this smallpox vaccine. Two billion. So what that means is it should be a people's vaccine. All this power shouldn't be on one pharma company. And because this one pharma company owns this, they are doing these very, very slow bilateral deals with other manufacturers to do the fill and finish, but they're dragging their fee mm. during a time of public health emergency of international concern. What we are here to do is, I'm I'm kind of sick of activists. I was gonna, it was fighting. You're years at this, Robbie. Yeah, no, but I'm sick of us because we're like, why isn't Stephen Donnelly getting more vaccines in my arms? Mm. I'm like, why are we allowing one pharma company to dictate how much vaccine there is in the world? Mm. That should be the bigger question because Stephen Donnelly is trying to get vaccines when there's an artificial scarcity mm. we have the vaccine there we just have one pharma company that aren't, isn't allowing um for companies to make this out much quicker way and uh, access to medicines ireland we have very practical things solutions that the irish government should get on board with where our colleagues are in the world to really have a strong international preparedness and response to emergencies because at the moment we do not and we're seeing that with monkeypox Profit rules. 
profit takes precedent and profit it takes, takes precedent over public health emergency. Um, it's the patent system, the way the patent system, and we, we have discussed this before yeah. at length. We've discussed this, but there are solutions in place. Are there are solutions that could quick solutions? Are there? Well, I think for the current emergency, we need to make sure that vaccines are allocated, not as a business decision, as a public health decision. These bilateral deals just shouldn't be allowed. There should be multilateral procurement and allocation of vaccines so that they go where they're most needed. So that's in the short term. In the long term, we really need to ask ourselves, why are we allowing this to happen? Why are we investing so much in public funding? And then why are we keeping that knowledge that's gained by public funding a secret? Um so I think that's like one of the main things that needs to be looked at. Um, is the patent, is that the only way we can do research and development? Should There should be other incentives now. How much profit is too much? We need to ask ourselves. P- Pfizer made 30, over 30 billion in 2021 alone from 10, the COVID vaccine. 10, 000, and they sold it to whoever they wanted to sell it to. $10,000 per second, I believe, is what the, uh, the, the ICIJ, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the have, have worked it out. $10,000 per second of working Pfizer alone. On, on their particular vaccine. And we're still trying to get access to the text messages between them and von der Leyen and mm. what happened with the, and Ireland was involved in this, guys, because we remember with the TRIPS waiver, we were, no, thank you. Can it's- I just say about the TRIPS waiver and how undemocratic this has been? Uh, with the People's Vaccine Alliance, mm. uh, as well with uh, Access to Medicines Ireland, Oxfam, do you know, all of us worked so hard and we got cross-party support in the Oireachtas Committee for Foreign Affairs and cross-party support in the Oireachtas Committee of Enterprise and Trade to support the TRIPS waiver. Mm. And then the Minister for Enterprise and Trade, Leo Varadkar, went to the Ministerial Conference at the World Trade Organization and voted against the TRIPS waiver. How democratic is that, especially when surveys of Irish people said, of course we should support the TRIPS waiver. Mm. It's just bonkers. It is. It it actually is bonkers. And it is bonkers that stuff on patent um, in in a public health emergency that you can't spread that and say, look, it's a public health emergency. Our people, our citizens take precedent over your profits for this moment in Mm. time. And Bavarian Nordic is undergoing renovations. Yes. <laughs> they can't even do it. And really? they're still protecting the yeah. patent. Yeah. Okay. Their the European uh, headquarters aren't reopening till 2023. Jesus. During cool. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is there, is there a, um, a seasonal element, monkeypox? Is this going to get worse as people gather indoors, um, closer contact with people? Is it, is it going to get worse? So monkeypox virus is spread by close contact, um, including sexual contact, but all close contact, skin to skin with the lesion. It is not an STI. As, you know, but, no, <laughs> no. But, but you keep hearing this. I'm sorry, no. but we do keep hearing mm. this nonsense thrown back because that's a nice convenient thing then to do. Exactly. I'm a hugger. I could get monkeypox. Mm. But it's also spread by close face-to-face contact. It can be spread in respiratory droplets and it can be spread within households, for example, by sharing bedding and towels. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just, that's how it's spread. Um in terms of getting worse or getting better, I just I think it very much depends on how we respond to it. It's not going to go away unless we make a much bigger effort to contain it. And that's in all around the world. And more research needs to go into containing this at local level where it's in countries where it's endemic um, mm-hmm. and where there's a reservoir in animals. We need to 
we won't fix this in rich countries alone. We need to look at where it's coming from. Why do, how do people end up in close contact with animals? How can we protect them? Can we vaccinate them? There needs to be a lot more research because we need we can't just break the cycle I mean, um, in Ireland alone. You mentioned climate change and we mentioned how people are on the move because we've mobilised. We talk about the fact we get very upset about Fortress Europe. I get really pissed off about what happened in Malia and at the, at the Spanish Moroccan border. Not enough people get annoyed about it, by the way, folks. I mean, we, it's really, it's really disappointing. But nonetheless, you see that. And then we, we face into a climate crisis where they're saying a billion people could be displaced. And when you do that and you put them, bring them into contact with, with other people they're living on top of, you're going to have, you know, yeah. these situations. Robbie, I'm going to be really mean though and ask you then going back to your community and saying that this is decades of of feeling marginalized by this you yourself have had to fight for 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 medicines for you to literally to survive and now you're back here again how disheartening is that i'm exhausted tony i need a nap i'm tired and not only me everyone in my community look because of the AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s again predominantly in western countries uh predominantly affecting gay and bi men uh, not exclusively, as we know. Um, so our intimacy, our sex was policed, but also stigmatized. Thankfully, true people fighting for their lives for access to treatment. In 1996, HIV treatment came on the market in high income countries. And what that means is it stops the HIV from replicating. So my immune system works as normal and we can live as long as anyone else. And there's been a lot more uh, medicines coming out. So I'm on my sixth option of HIV medication. Mm. So I'm going to live as long as anyone else. And I can't pass on HIV sexually. It's impossible. So me and my partner is HIV negative. We don't need to wear condoms in a relationship. So from a public health standpoint, you're like, let's get everyone living with HIV around the world, know their status, get them on treatment. We won't have any new and more HIV infections or age-related deaths. That sounds great. However... And I'll go back into the policing comment again, Mm. but this is important in terms of access to medicines and how we're reliving mistakes of the past. Although we had access to treatment in 1996 in high-income countries, the same access we had to treatment wasn't the same in sub-Saharan Africa until 2006. And what the CDC in Africa have estimated is that between 9 to 12 million people died of AIDS in sub-Saharan Africa in those 10 years because pharma companies wouldn't allow generic production of the vaccines that kept me alive. Can you imagine? And still to this day, we have a huge ARV or HIV treatment rollout program around the world. However, we can celebrate that, but they don't have access to the same amount of drugs that I do. And I'm on my sixth option. So people who have probably been on um, mental health drugs or the contraceptive pill, you know, you have to find the right one for you. Yeah. That works for you. And uh, for me, I had to try loads of different ones. But I, if I was in Uganda or Zimbabwe, mm. I wouldn't have that luxury. Now we're seeing it repeat itself. 21% of people in uh, Africa have been fully vaccinated against COVID. Only 21%. Mm. I have four vaccines in me for COVID-19. And I have, I actually got my two doses of monkeypox vaccine, would you believe it? One's from a clinical trial years ago and the other is because I was in Montreal for AIDS conference and they were giving it out to everyone in Montreal, regardless if you're Canadian or not. And now we see people from Ireland going over to France because they're giving to people regardless if you're French or not. So we're constantly reliving this cycle of global inequity because of profit. Mm. And what it's doing is it's affecting the world economy for one. Because if we do not have a healthy workforce around, if we do not have people leaving a workplace to look after their children who can't work the farm 
Mm. Well, then we're going to have a more poor society. We're going to have more uh, health systems that are strained and we're going to have economies devastated around the world. So we need to think about this but, but, from but, a more long lasting uh, effect. But I want to go back to what you started that. Oh, yeah. That, Sorry, I went on my rant again. No, 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 no. There was really, there was something you said in there about the, when you categorize so many people now, six million people was, was that the phrase you used between two, 1996 and 2006? Between and nine to 12 million people died of AIDS. And do you know what? That's why I. Sorry, from, guys, but yeah. when you say that, like. And it, it wasn't the West that, that solved the problem for, um, the rest of the world. It was India taking stuff off patent and selling it cheaply exactly. into Africa. Mm-hmm. And it was India actually breaking patent rules mm-hmm. that helped Africa. Now, it, it, that's a fact and that's an absolute mm-hmm. fact. The West actually didn't want India to make generic production. They tried so hard. Do you know, I think there were 16 pharma companies that brought the South African government under Nelson Mandela to court because they were trying to use flexibilities and in intellectual property law to remove the patent. Because they, they were getting like 500,000 people dying a year of AIDS or something incredible. Now I need to be fact checked on that, but something, it was su- such a huge issue. And your pharma companies are saying, actually, our profit is, but it stumps your lives. That's right. That's it's, right. And, and now at monkeypox, the deaths have been predominantly in Africa. There's not one vaccine available there. When it, when the outbreak came in the Western world, African scientists are like, what? You have all of these stockpiles. You have all of these treatments. We were never offered any of them. We've mm-hmm. been warning about this for years and years. And before COVID, we did see, or we knew that pharma companies were making in, in relation to cancer, that they were targeting, um, specific cancers, but the price of the, the, the medicine that they were coming up was prohibitive. Yeah. So if you have a vaccine, but the price of it is po- prohibitive, you don't actually have a vaccine. What you have is a very select few people who can profit from it and who c- it can help. So the idea that you have a vaccine, unless everybody has equal access to that vaccine, it's not actually a vaccine. Mm-hmm. What good is innovation if no one has access to it? Yeah. I'm so happy you brought up cancer there. Because when we talk about access to medicines, we always talk about pandemics Mm. and global emergencies. But actually, it's everyone feels the effects of intellectual property when it comes to our healthcare. You see it time and time again, where it can be for cystic fibrosis, Binraza, um, uh, PrEP, even for HIV preventative drug. Um, But with cancer drugs, what we're seeing actually is intellectual property inhibits innovation. And this is a really important point because why would pharma companies invest so much money in research and development of really innovative drugs when they can incrementally just increase what they have? So what we're seeing is not this real blue sky research, but where we're seeing the blue sky research is actually in public health institutions and universities because that's public money. Mm. And then we sell whatever promising compounds to pharma with these very loose licensing agreements and then they get all the intellectual property rights. So what we're trying to do is anything that has so much public funding, whether it's cancer drugs, whether it's vaccines, um, we want conditionalities that this is a public good. It's not a profit good. And so these are really practical things that we can do at university level, at ethics level that we need to push for. But of course, you know, universities, they get a lovely new machine from the pharma company and they're in the hands of them. And we see it time and time again. So this is all about people power. It's about people power for the HIV uh, 
a pandemic. It has to be, it was people power for the COVID-19 pandemic with the trips waiver and which we're continuing to fight for. And again, it's the people power for the monkeypox, um, for access to monkeypox vaccine. And it's coming predominantly from the game by community, but we need to rise up even more. Mm. Yeah. You're reminding me of Ipilimumab, which came out for. Mm-hmm cancer and was prohibitively expensive in this country. I think they were saying it was 75,000 or more per treatment per person. Yet that started off in a very small R&D company, um, which was really small operation. As soon as it showed promise, it was bought over by a large pharma company. And then the costs went through the roof and the costs weren't to do with testing. The costs mm-hmm. weren't to do with getting it through the Federal Drugs Administration. It was pure profiteering. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, three, four years later, you have a miracle drug that really helps some people. And the government says, no, we're not paying for it because it's too expensive. But it started in a university. It began in a university. Mm-hmm. It was public property when it first began, but through the skips, the you're, hoops. You're talking to, from personal experience. Oh yeah, you absolutely. fought, you you fought, fought hard for that. Yeah, really? yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. I did fight. For and really you, hard. you can't, you don't have the luxury of waiting twenty years for a patent to expire. Yeah. On Luckily medicine. for me, I the haven't needed it yet. But there are people who are alive today in Ireland because they had access to Ipilimumab. Ipilimumab then became, you know, they they had more branches off that, which are even more effective. And it has now become a first-line treatment in Canada rather than, oh, look, we might give it to you on compassionate grounds in Ireland Mm -hmm. if we feel like it. And it's now because it saves money in the long run. It just does. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a spoiled sport for all of you. And you probably won't be too aware of this, but you mentioned the intellectual property all the time. And it always comes back to me. I think of Merck, for example, I think the companies that have made deals with Ireland quite often what they've done is because they've found to, you know, we said they've been avoiding tax or they've been using our, our, our networks. Usually it's because they're, they're clever enough to take the intellectual property and take a loan against it to, to, to use right. it as well. So not only are we, we getting screwed on that way, we're, we're not even, we're not even able to collect taxes from many of these comp- corporations who may have offices based in Dublin or factories based in Cork yeah. because they're able to use our tax system then to, to even cut the legs out from under us financially, never mind, uh, you know, on, on an ethical, uh, looking after society kind of way. Those are facts. They, like there are cases in the US where they're raging saying these companies owe us money and what's it got to do with Dublin? Oh, well, that's where we've parked this IP. <laughs> can, I, can I ask three steps right now that the government should be taking? Okay. Three things that we can do straight away. One, call monkeypox what it is, which is a public health emergency in Ireland. We need to get good communication out there. We really need to engage with communities and really fund sexual health and community services that are chronically underfunded and completely overstretched because STIs are going through the roof. HIV rates are going through the roof in this country. So they're already stretched. Give us the funding uh, and let the community lead. Have us at the heart of all your messaging. Um, secondly, if I was Stephen Donnelly, I would get Leo Varadkar by the ear. I would get Simon Govney by the other ear. I would talk to our EU counterparts and I would use our huge diplomatic ties and strength to really discuss what practical things from a structural standpoint, stuff that we talked about today mm. that we can do. Let's remove the power from one pharma company during emergencies. Actually, let's put it onto public bodies. Let, let us manufacture them. Mm. Um, but of course they'll get some, they'll get some royalties. They'll get some money. It's not poor pharma. Do you know, we well, still, they'll, 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 they'll get money. They'll be paid. 
They became, and thirdly, pay people a proper sick pay. <laughs> we cannot get through this together if we are going to lose our rent, if we can't afford to feed ourselves. We are isolating to protect others and to protect ourselves. Get rid of institutional homophobia and all your policies. I know this is more than three now, but I think they're all interconnected. And racism. And racism, absolutely. Um, overall, we wouldn't have the monkeypox issue if we got rid of racism and mm. corporate greed that's in the very heart of our global health architecture, that's in the very heart of our international trade policies. We need to really sort that out because if we do not, we are doomed to repeat a cycle of the mistakes of the AIDS crisis, of the mistakes of the continued COVID-19 crisis and monkeypox. And we're going to get, as Kira said, we're going to see more and more zoonotic diseases or existing diseases spill over uh, all around the world. I think that's very fair. I think that's very fair. I mean, if we don't, we've, how many warnings but, but, do we have to can, get? Can I say something mm-hmm. that's really funny? We're not, nothing we've spoken about here today should be revolutionary radical. It's Thank not you. radical. It's no. so fucking common sense. But that's, isn't that terrible, Kira, where you look around and we, we, we said, you, you said you had this conversation with us a couple of years ago and here we are again. It's her- inherently just ridiculous mm-hmm. to think that we're just leaving this in the hands of one company to make decisions which affect the whole world and yeah as Robbie said you know we keep fighting these individual battles it's time to step back and like look at the war and look at the structural issues that keep leading us into the same situation. Do you know what I find exciting I don't know about you Kira but what I'm seeing in international media now is that we're not talking about just national responses Mm. we're talking we're actually pinpointing where the issues are it's continually on trade policies now with the TRIPS waiver, for example, mm. we know the structural uh, changes that need to happen. And that's why I'm giving out about activists at home. Yes, why is the Minister of Health getting them? But the bigger question is, why can't he get access to them in the first place? And I think when we change that question to the higher question, mm. when we get to the root cause, I'm seeing that more and more. So I actually think change is happening. We just need to keep up the momentum and keep up the fight. And I really hope that people in high income countries, just like with COVID, once we start getting the vaccine in our arms, we stop the conversation because it's a global issue that needs to be stopped at a global level. So we just need to continue to fight and keep up the momentum. I think that's a great point to finish it out on. And I think it's a great. Thank you both for coming in today Thanks and having, having this us. conversation. Thanks so much for having us. And I really do hope that we don't have to have this conversation again in two no. years time. And I really we hope we don't. Yeah. Tired. And if you're interested as Access to Medicines Ireland, we always want really interested people to join the movement. We're an open group. We're academics. We're activists. We're just normal people who just really want to see change in the world and we're open. So go to accesstomedicines.ie and uh, yeah, come join the movement. Yeah, we'll have the link in the blurb for folks. All you do is click on that there. Uh, check out Robbie's pod as well. My God, what a communicator. Yeah. What a communicator. Tony, stop telling people about other people's pods. <laughs> no, all the community. Can, no, like, listen, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time to come in. It's it's a it's a lovely day outside, but it also puts everything in, into context of how of what what we're what we're dealing with as well in the wider context. My big big push though I think you're right Robbie is to take that fight I mean I'll give one last example and it always annoys me is that we saw recently our um, 
Tonister was on tonight, Virgin Media, where he told him that he would, wouldn't apologize for standing up for, for, uh, working families. At the same time, he was one of five ministers who signed a letter to say he wouldn't support a living wage That's and right. collective bargaining in, in Europe. We need to call that shit out. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to point out that. And we also need people in the media to be quick enough to say, well, then why did you sign that letter? <laughs> you know, yeah, the, you know, the discrepancy we, between what one says and what one does. Yes. And, and, and Ireland is really like, we had the conversation earlier with uh, the climate camp and it was one of the main, one of the really ugly things about it was the Serahan mine in Colombia where we're taking this coal from. But we're not just taking the coal from a blood mine where, where human rights abuse are happening. The company that, that actually uh, owns them is based in Dublin for tax purposes. You know, so so when you, when you, we are... What's the name? I want to egg the windows. Green core. <laughs> <laughs> not bloomed. Ro- 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 at them. Robbie, Kira, thank you again. I really appreciate it. And um, look, folks, look, uh, please do support and please raise your voices. Activism actually begins grassroots up. Yes. We believe it's not top down. It's grassroots up. That's where change comes from. Absolutely. If you're not an activist, if you're just tweeting away, you're not being an activist. Get out and do something. Join the movement. Talk to you soon, folks. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speak.